You may have noticed behind me are these shapes spelling out the name of Jesus in a festive way. Uh, That is not part of my sermon. The sermon is not the shape of Christmas, uh, but that is part of our day schools program. They left that up for you to enjoy, to let you know kind of what they've been up to. Uh, Our day school at some points in its history has been almost entirely kids that, that go to Northwest Um, and and they go to the day school, and we've had a few kids from the community. Our day school has really become one of our neatest outreach ministries here at Northwest. It's almost entirely uh, kids from our community, uh, kids whose families uh, come from uh, other nations, and they're here at Northwest, and they get to come to our day school and learn about shapes and Jesus and, and sing about that to their families last Thursday. And so what a blessing that was, and I'm grateful that they left that up there to share it. Because that's a lot of what we're doing when we talk about Christmas uh, during this season. And when I say Christmas, what I mean is the birth of Jesus, the Son of God, into uh, a manger. And it's not just important because the nativity scene and all of the festive stuff, and, and I do love that. I love this season I have my whole life. I used to really love it because I got really good gifts. Um, At some point along the line, I actually found that it was more fun to give good gifts than receive them, as much as the cliche rings true. I think it has something to do with my kids. Um, Man, I enjoy that. Uh, But there's something about the church's historical setting aside a certain time of year to remember the importance of Jesus being born that reminds us some things that are very important. You see, in the last couple hundred years, Christianity has at times become too much of a head faith and too much of a thinking faith, and it's too much about belief and knowledge and understanding. And we've lost that Christianity has always been intended to be lived out in the body. That, that Christians have always been intended not to just think the right things about the right facts and the right stories, but that it's intended to be about God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus born in a manger, died on a cross, resurrected and ascended to sit at the right hand of God so his spirit could come into us again, having God dwelling in the flesh, living in the world, making a difference. And so having a little bit of a time set aside every year is intended to be done in churches so that we don't forget in in the process of coming up with all the different sermons and teachings and things that are important to the church to remember to proclaim that God is with us, God is in us, and it's because Jesus was born that that continues to be true today. So we're going to proclaim that. We're going to give glory to God and honor to Him. We do it every week, as Jimmy kind of mentioned in the communion service this morning. We do it every week when we take the bread and remember the body of Jesus because He did live in a body. He's not just a story. He lived here. He learned to walk and talk. He learned the Scriptures the way we learn the Scriptures. He learned about who He was and what it meant, and He lived in a world that was often difficult and challenging the way we live in a world that's often difficult and challenging And so we eat the bread and we remember the body. And that's part of what we do when we celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And so as we've been, this is kind of our third week of doing this. Two weeks ago, we really talked about how incredible it was that the world wondered, can God ever live in peace with humanity, with his people in his presence, in his presence living among us, without there being the immediate harm of him destroying us? Because in the Old Testament, that is a live, real question. 
The answer in a powerful way comes when the angel Gabriel tells Joseph, your betrothed is with child and it's God's son and he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. And God was with us and he walked with us and he talked with us and those stories are recorded in the Gospels in the stories about Jesus. And then last week we talked about how there's this incredible teaching at the end of John's gospel as Jesus is preparing to be arrested and betrayed and crucified that he tells the apostles, it's good I'm going away because if I didn't leave the advocate, the Holy Spirit couldn't come. And it's good that I'm going because those who believe in me will have the Holy Spirit in them and those who have the Holy Spirit in me will do even greater things than you have seen in me. And so the teaching is that the blessing of God with us in Jesus continues in the blessing of God in us through the working of the Spirit in those who believe in Him today. And so we've carried a lot of water the last couple of weeks in talking about why the birth of Jesus matters and why the coming of the Spirit matters. And today what I want to do is, is do a little bit of an exercise uh, and, and kind of consider some significant moments in the life of Jesus. Because we often reflect on, uh, on the birth of Jesus in the manger with the Bethlehem story and the nativity and the shepherds and the wise men and the angels proclaiming and singing. And, and we think about the beginning. And, and then we've always got at least one eye, if not both eyes, on the end where Jesus comes uh, to the moment that he is betrayed and arrested and, and has an illegal sham trial in the middle of the night on trumped up charges and a chanting mob crucify him. He willingly goes to the cross praying to God, not my will but yours be done. And on the cross he's crucified because he loves us and he wants to destroy evil and bring life to the world that has been stricken by death and decay. And Jesus is undoing all of that on the cross and it's undone on the third day when he gets out of the grave. And it's undone on the third day when it's clear that the power of God can raise Jesus from the dead, raise Jesus from the grave. And then when he ascends, he is raised to sit at the right hand of God. So we've got the beginning of the story in the manger and the end of the story with Jesus seated at the right hand of God. But in between is this incredible life. It's this unbelievable life. And we know very little about his childhood except for some of the details in Luke. And we don't know much about his young adult life. But by the time he's in his mid-30s, he's living uh, this incredible life where he is doing things, saying things, teaching things, performing miracles of great power over nature, illness, and death itself. That's Jesus' life. And not only is he doing these things and teaching these things, what we see is Jesus is living in such a way that he is changing lives, turning the whole world upside down. He's speaking truth to powerful people who need to hear that things aren't what they think they are. That Jesus is giving people a new way to live, a new way to love, that his life is often filled with scandal because the world just can't deal with the incredible things that he's doing and the way that he's doing them. That's the life Jesus lived. At the end of John's gospel, he's saying, I could have written volumes upon volumes. The libraries of the world couldn't hold the stories about the things that this man Jesus did. That's the life he lived, filled with miracle, power, compassion, mercy, unbelievable things. And yet, after Jesus lives the life as the king born in the manger, crucified, 
and raised to sit at the right hand of God, setting up a kingdom that would last for all of eternity. After he did all of that, here we are today in a world where people continually and increasingly deny or ignore the importance of the life of Jesus Christ. That people make less and less of the significance of the boy who was born in the manger, who died on the cross and sits on the throne today. That there is less significance given to the life that John said could have filled all the libraries of the world. With the ocean, the ink, it would run dry before the end of the stories about this man could be told. And so it's in that world that I believe we're invited to reenact a little bit of what's going on in the movie It's a Wonderful Life, the Christmas classic. Uh, everyone, you've seen It's a Wonderful Life? Um, it's one of my favorite uh, Christmas movies, the story uh, of, of Jimmy Stewart as the actor playing George Bailey. And he's giving this scene where, where he's, he's kind of saying, you know, is this the story of George Bailey and the Bailey Savings and Loan, right? That kind of a thing. Uh, I've been working on that all week. I don't know if it came off or not. <laughs> but what I hope to do is to take that classic where he says partway through the movie, he says, listen, I, I wish I'd never been born. I wish that I had never been born. And an angel comes and comes to George. And he grants that wish. And he gives him this vision of what the world would be like if George Bailey had never been born. And he takes him through a number of the scenes and shows him what the world would be like without him there. And, and I want us to do that today. And I want to get in the Word. And I want to get into the Gospel. And, and I want to be rooted not in a Christmas classic, but I want to be rooted in the Word, which is the greatest classic. And I want to go through some stories from Jesus' life and imagine what it would be like in the lives of these people if Jesus had never been born. And the first one I want to look at is not a woman that was expecting Jesus or the Son of God or the Messiah to show up at all. It is a Samaritan woman who went to get water at a well in the middle of the day. And in John chapter 4, starting at verse 4, it says this, Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near a plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Yeah. Yeah. Sir, the woman said, You've nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty 
and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. He said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I the one speaking to you, I am he. So much going on in this story. Sermons and sermons have been preached about this interaction between Jesus and the woman, and much has been said about a woman who, who, who having received the shame of having had five husbands and now having one who is not, in fact, her husband. And we often assume that, that, that she loses those husbands as a result of adultery or divorce or, or the shame that comes with those things. But divorce was not necessarily incredibly common in this part of the world. And in this time, it's possible that she lost some of those husbands uh, to death. Some of those husbands uh, were she grieved over. But it's also likely that some of them were lost to this, this different types of shame. And even in that world, if you become a widow, there, there's a shame with that, and especially a widow of five husbands, or if she's a divorcee of, of five husbands, this woman is walking in a world where people see her and say, you're that woman. Yeah. You're that kind of a person who has to be on the sixth husband, and in fact, this one won't even marry you. She's shamed. She's so shamed that she doesn't go to the well in the cool of the morning when all the other ladies do. She goes in the middle of the day where she can be alone to her thoughts and her embarrassment and her past and her present and her brokenness. She would go there to be left alone and go there to not have anyone mess with her or judge her. And on this day, in the middle of the day, the Jewish rabbi shows up and she thinks to herself, great. When I showed up just so that I wouldn't be shamed, here comes someone who is certain to heap guilt and shame and judgment upon me. He's going to judge me. He won't interact with me. He's going to look down on me like an animal that he doesn't even see. I need to be ready to be treated as an invisible, worthless person with no value. Jesus says, can I have a drink? She's shocked. She said, but you and I are not the kind of people who generally interact with one another. How could you do that and ask me for this? And she says that. Uh, but Jews and Samaritans don't interact with one another. And he says, but I offer you something far greater than I ask of you. If you just knew who I was, I could give you water that would leave you quenched. You would never be thirsty again, this living water. 
And, and the woman is struggling to understand, and she kind of asks in a physical way, well, then give me some of this water. I don't like coming to the well. I'm here in the middle of the day. I, I, don't, I, I would take your endless water supply. The fountain of youth, sign me up. Conversation switches to religious things, and it switches to spiritual things. And at some point, she says, I know it's all complicated. Someday, the Son of God, Messiah, who is called the Christ, will explain it to us. Now, it's important to know that in John's gospel at this point, that Jesus is not revealed to anyone who he is or where he's from. Others have suggested it. The miracles have, have hinted at it. The baptism has, has led towards it. But this is the first person that Jesus has plainly said to them, I am the Messiah. And it's this woman, this broken, vulnerable, shameful woman at the well. And he speaks to her and he treats her as a human. And he puts her back together and he starts to treat her like she's not a half a person, but she's a whole person. Like she's not sick, but she's healthy. And he treats her with respect and honor, and he gives her compassion and mercy. And you have to think about the difference that would have happened in this woman's life as a result of this chance encounter with this man at the well in the middle of the day. What if Jesus had never been born? It's speculative, but you aren't taking much of a leap when you suggest the possibility that this woman would have continued to live out her life uh, of shame. She would have kept going to the well at noon, that she would have continued to live through the embarrassment of being with a sixth man who was not now her husband, of the town looking at her as if she was a person with no value, going to the well just hoping that someone doesn't show up and treat her like she's invisible or worse, worthless. That would have been the end of her story. But it's not the end of her story. Because we know that Jesus lived a most wonderful life. So just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. Because they still hold the prejudices that Jesus lacks. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people... Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is through the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the ones who reaps a, draw a wage and harvest a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and, I have, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. While Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples and apostles and explaining to them the food that he eats is doing the will of God and explaining to them that they're going to reap a harvest that they didn't plant. While he's doing that, this Samaritan woman has left the well and gone into town. And she's now standing in the town square yelling to everyone that she's been hiding from. This woman, remember, was at the well in the heat of the day to stay away from the judgmental eyes that were there that morning. And now she goes right where those judgmental eyes are and says, I need everyone's attention. 
I have an important announcement to make. There's a man who has told me everything I ever did. And they all look at each other, right, and go, that's a long story because this lady's done a lot. This story is going to be worth hearing. And we don't know when she says, could this be the Messiah if they're going just to hear the story and the gossip of everything this woman's ever done, or if they're going to see if this could be the one that she says it could be. But the whole town comes out to see Jesus. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And Jesus wanted to go around Samaria at the beginning of the story. He reluctantly had to go through it because time was of the essence. And as he goes through Samaria, he comes upon this woman. He shows her mercy and compassion. She just wanted to be ignored and avoided and didn't have anyone bother her. And all of a sudden, she becomes a missionary. She tells everyone, this could be the Messiah. And many of them come out to see, based on her testimony, this woman who becomes one of the most surprising missionaries at the beginning of the gospel because Jesus has told her first and early, I am the one you've been waiting for. And now they urge Jesus to stay, and he stayed two days. You can't see Peter's mouth at this point in the story, but it looks something like this. We're staying where? Jesus. We're supposed to be heading through to get to the other side and not staying in this neighborhood with these people and that woman. But, but he doesn't say that. Jesus stayed two days. And because, because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Because Jesus lived in a Samaritan village that didn't really know if they were supposed to worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem or they didn't know knows that this man, Jesus, is the Savior of the world. The Jews to whom Jesus was sent are going to struggle to figure this out for the rest of the book, but this village believes, first because of this woman's testimony, and second because of what they heard out of Jesus' own mouth. The power of a wonderful life. The other Gospels record other stories. I'm going to turn over to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5 Jesus and the, the apostles, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Oh, yeah. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. This is a wild, wild, dangerous man. In verse 6, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? 
My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. I want to take a minute and, and just point out that we don't actually know the man's name. And, and I hope you know that. We don't know this man's name. The answer, we are legion because we are minty, is not the voice of the man who was born, born to a mother who gave him the name legion. Legion is what this man has come to be called because of the evil that lives inside of him. One of the questions that, that I have that I can't wait to be resolved on the day that we go home and see Jesus is, is this. I can't wait to meet the man who was formerly known as Legion and find out if he continued to go by that name or if he went back to his birth name. And I don't know, because part of me thinks that he, he may have kept the name Legion as a reminder of the good thing that God had done for him. And part of me thinks he may have said, I am finally restored to who I was before and am now again. Because if it were not for Jesus, if Jesus had never been born, then this man continues to live among the catacombs and the cemeteries and the tombstones and the chains until the moment that the legion of evil things living within him eventually took his own life. And when he died, that would have been the end of him, but that's not the end of his story because of one who lived the most wonderful life. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they, were, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. And wouldn't you too, if this man who had just saved you from all that had haunted you for years, the, the end of your life was at hand, and he restores you from death and living among dead things to life and living among living things. Everything that you've lost has been restored to you. It's back. And Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them, how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, which is Greek for ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Jesus, just let me go with you. And he says, there's some to be apostles, but for you it's to be a missionary. Take the scars on your, your body from the chains that have been broken off of you and go to the people who knew you in your worst days and your darkest hour and tell them how because you met me, the King of kings and Lord of lords, that the kingdom of God is near and it's at hand. That this is the difference that was made in your life because you met the one who was living the most wonderful I can't wait to find out what he told him his name was. 
says he, you remember me, you used to call me Legion. Or did he walk up and say, you can still call me Legion, but the Legion I serve is no longer the Legion of demons within me, but the army of God that I'm a part of. I don't know. I don't know, but I can't wait to find out. Because Jesus made a difference in his life too. And the last one we'll look at briefly is in Luke 18. Luke chapter 18, to show that Jesus didn't just come to those who were down and out and the most beat up and broken by the world. Oh, and by 18, I of course mean 19. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. This is, by the way, the third story where we don't get to see Peter's face or James or John's face, but you can almost certainly imagine that the look on it was something like, what? Jesus, don't, don't you know, I mean, the, the woman at the well, that was the one thing, and the, the guy with the demons, that was pretty wild, because especially the pigs, but, but Jesus, now, Zacchaeus is a tax collector, a traitor for your people Israel. He collects taxes for the occupying force Rome, and he often takes advantage of people. People's lives, God's people's lives, are harder to make Rome rich because of this man. And look at his, his house is one of the biggest ones in town because he's so willing to take advantage of other people for Rome's sake. Zacchaeus, however, came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. There's an important thing to know here just mathematically. 50% of his total net worth is gone to the poor like that. He promises to give four times more back if he's cheated anyone, which means that he can know with confidence that he's given uh, somewhere between 10 and 15% at most is how much he's cheated someone. Otherwise, he's bankrupt, right? All things considered, it appears that Zacchaeus was one of the more honest tax collectors. That, that the amount that he cheated people over had to be less than one-eighth of his total income, or the math here doesn't make sense. Zacchaeus was lonely. Zacchaeus had tons of wealth because he had chosen this selfish, self-aggrandizing occupation. Zacchaeus had lived a good life at the expense of others because of the power of an army that had overtaken God's people. He had chosen himself over family, over friends, over neighbors, over nation, over others. But in this moment, when Jesus shows kindness to him by going to his home and saying, I'm going to stay with you tonight, Zacchaeus is changed and transformed, and he's, his whole life is different. And you get the idea that this one who was, was good but not great, who is a traitor to his people, who is living for himself and not for others, is suddenly 
having Jesus and the apostles and the disciples and his neighbors coming into his home to sit at his table. And he becomes a blessing to others because of his encounter with Jesus. And Jesus says to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and to save the lost. And these stories tell us over and over again of people whose lives were transformed and made different because Jesus, Emmanuel, became God with us. Jesus lived among us. Jesus lived the most wonderful life from birth to ascension that transformed so many people's stories. So the question is, what difference has the birth of Jesus made to you? What is different about your life because of the boy who was born in the manger? What is different about your life because of the man who died on the cross and got out of the tomb? What's different? Are you, are you like the woman who was taken from shame and brokenness to becoming a whole person? Are you like Legion who went from being dead among dead things to having a life filled with life where all you could do was tell everyone the good that God had done for you, even in the ten cities? Is your life like Zacchaeus, where you once were living all for yourself and lonely, but now it's a life that's filled with love for others, with friends, with family, with neighbors, with a community that wraps its arms around you and loves you, and that you can support and provide for them, and you realize what a blessing it is to put others before yourself, because that's what happened when Jesus came into Zacchaeus' life? Or is your life unchanged? Is your life no different today than if Jesus had never been born? Because I want to tell you, if your life is unchanged, then you're still waiting for the life-altering encounter with Jesus that you've been called to have. Because you cannot come in contact with the boy who was born in the manger and went to the cross and leave unchanged. Because Jesus lived the most wonderful life. And he calls you to now join him in that life. Because once you meet him, you will not be left unchanged. And so the invitation that's here this week and every week is this, that if you believe that this boy was born and that he lived into becoming a man who was the son of God, crucified, resurrected, and ascended, exalted to the right hand of God himself, that he now tells us the things you've seen that were great in my wonderful life, there's even more to come. And it's going to come in the lives of those who believe in me. And those who receive the Spirit, and the Bible tells us that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and eternal life by being washed in the waters of baptism through faith. That's the gift. The greatest gift that you'll receive, certainly, this week or any other. The invitation is whether or not you will receive the gift of the forgiveness of sins, the gift of eternal life, if you will let Jesus change your life the way he changed the woman at the well the man who used to be named Legion, the short guy who collected too many taxes, and so many others, so many others whose lives could fill all the libraries of the world if the stories could be all told. 
And the reason it could fill all the libraries of the world is because John knew that the number of people whose lives Jesus would change didn't end when he went to heaven, that it continues today because he's waiting for your life to become one of those stories written in the library of people whose lives Jesus has changed forever. But you've got to receive the gift, accept the invitation. It's available because Emmanuel, God with us, came and lived among us. It's effective and powerful because he promised that when he leaves, he will send us the spirit which becomes God within us. You become part of a family of people that are the body of Christ, bringing God in breaking into this world every single day over and over again. Will you accept the invitation? Will you receive the gift? If you need to respond to the power of Jesus Christ, do it this morning while we stand and sing.